book of Ruth, chapter 1. I was praying last night, asking the Lord for direction for the service today, <clears throat> this morning. Led my heart to this scripture and began to deal with me about some things that are recorded here in the Word of God. It's by no coincidence that uh, the Sunday school hour was what it was this morning. And uh, Brother Tim taught this morning about waiting on the Lord. And uh, the positive aspects of waiting on the Lord, really. I think he dealt more with what good comes of it than he did on what bad comes of not waiting on the Lord. And uh, we're going to read a story this morning, a, a true story in the Word of God, a record of a man that did not wait on the Lord. Ruth chapter 1, let's stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi. The name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. They came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left of her and her two sons. They took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. Malon and Kilion died also both of them. The woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. They said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. 
She said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die. There will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. It came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. They said, Is this Naomi? She said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I said this morning that I want to preach to you about a man who didn't wait on the Lord. And I want to ask you this morning, preach this morning if God will be my helper, on Bethlehem or Moab. Bethlehem or Moab. Here we read the record in the Word of God about a man by the name of Elimelech. And we're told in the Scripture what time this record takes place. We're told that it comes to pass in the days when the judges ruled. And so it was a day of apostasy. It was a day of idolatry and rebellion among the people of God. We know and understand from the book of Judges that they would do good for a while and then when everything was well, they'd rebel against God and serve idol gods and God would deliver them into the hand of their enemies or bring oppression or uh, affliction upon them to cause them to return again unto the Lord. Some say there are many that have their opinions. I don't know that it really necessarily matters. Some say that uh, the book of Ruth took place in the time when Gideon was the judge over the land of Israel for uh, we're told in the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 uh, that the nation of Israel was greatly impoverished and there was a famine because of the Midianites. We don't know for sure if that's the time, but we do understand uh, that in this time that this man by the name of Elimelech leaves Bethlehem, Judah, and goes to Moab, there is a famine in the land. And I'm interested this morning if God will 
help us together why this man chose to leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. Now many people would say he left because of the famine and I understand that that's part of the story but he's the only one that's recorded for us that he left Bethlehem and went to Moab. Everybody else is in the famine. Everybody else is suffering. There's no sustenance. If it did take place during the time of Gideon's day, the Bible said there was no sustenance for Israel, neither for the oxen nor for the ashes. There was nothing that was left and the people were hiding in the dens and the mountains and the caves for fear of the Midianites. And yet all the rest of them stay as far as we know in the land of Bethlehem except for Elimelech and his wife and their two sons. And he gets the idea that he will go to Moab. Now I can prove by the scripture that he had good intentions in going to Moab. That he never intended to stay there. For the Bible said in verse number 1 that they went to sojourn. That word sojourn means to remain a stranger. They just went there to bide their time while the famine was in Bethlehem. But I want to say to you this morning that there is nothing... In the word of God, good that is ever said about the land of Moab. Not one thing good is ever said. Not even the fact that there was bread there when there was bread in, when there was not bread in Bethlehem, that does not make Moab the right place to go. Matter of fact, from the beginning, Moab was a cursed place. And the people of Moab were a cursed people. If you read in the book of Genesis, you'll find out that Moab was the son born to Lot's eldest daughter with her own father. And the word Moab means of my father. And so Moab carried with it the sin, the ungodliness, the iniquity of what went on from the very beginning. And it was not a place for the people of God. Matter of fact, in the word of God, God himself called Moab his wash pot. It was the place where all the dirtiness and the filthiness accumulated. If you were to go home today, after you eat lunch and wash the dishes, would you scoop the dirty dishwater out of the sink and give it to your children to drink? We would say no, but that's exactly what Elimelech did in carrying his family to the land of Moab. They went because of a famine, but the famine was only temporary. But he sacrificed his family and their future all because of a famine that would pass if they had waited on the Lord. 
if it did happen in the days of Gideon, uh, there were other times before that uh, where God had shown himself uh, to bring them out of their circumstance, out of their trouble, out of their affliction. And if God could do it before, he could do it again. Uh, but they were going to have to wait on God. I began to ponder, the Lord began to deal with my heart, and I'm just going to preach how the Lord's put it on me this morning. I've preached from this scripture countless times. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's very difficult to preach from the book of Ruth without preaching the whole book, or at least touching the whole story. But God got to working in my heart about this land of Moab, and I got to looking at it on the map. And do you know to leave Bethlehem, which by the way means the house of bread, and if you put Judah with it it means the house of bread and praise so they're leaving God's house and going to the world and the only way to get there you only get there one of two one of two ways to go from Bethlehem to Moab one way was to cross back over Jordan and travel south and so they were crossing the boundary of the will of God for their life God made Jordan the boundary line when, when he had Joshua bring the children across and the priests stood in the midst and the dry land appeared and they crossed during the time that it overflowed its banks and after they crossed Jordan and landed in Gilgal, God commanded Joshua to circumcise again the people and to tell them that this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. You have crossed the boundary line and entered into the place that I want you to be as my people. And so in order to get from Bethlehem to Moab, they had to cross back across the boundary line where God said His will was for His people. And if you leave Bethlehem this morning and go to Moab, you will have to cross the boundary line of God's will for your life. And not if they didn't go that way, the only other way to get to Moab from Bethlehem was to journey around the Dead Sea. And that's exactly what Moab brought to Elimelech and his family was dead. And so neither way sounds good to me to cross God's boundary line or to journey near death. But that's the only way that you can leave God's will, leave God's way, and find your way as a child of God in the land of Moab. And you may say there are benefits in Moab and according to the word of God maybe there were there was bread there when there was not in Bethlehem but I'll tell you the benefits of Moab were very short lived and then consequence began to come I'm going to tell you this morning you can have Moab or you can have Bethlehem the choice is yours You can, as a child of God, according to this scripture, you can live in Moab if you want to. 
But can I tell you this morning, I just want to preach how God put it on my heart. I want to tell you what you'll find in Moab and then tell you what you can find in Bethlehem. I want to tell you about Moab first. If you choose to dwell there, cross God's boundary line of His will for your life, travel around the Dead Sea, live near death, live in defeat, live in poverty, spiritually, you can bet to find consequences in Moab. Elimelech found consequences when he went to Moab. He found disease in Moab. You say, where do you get that from the Bible? Well, the Bible said he had two sons and their name was Malon and Kileon, which means sickly and pining. And I'm going to tell you, hear me well, that's exactly the type of children your ways in Moab is sickly and pining. And I'm talking spiritual things now. If we're going to raise our family and raise our children in the land of Moab, it's no wonder that we have an anemic and a weak spiritual generation. For that's all you'll find when you raise them in Moab. And it's the consequences of living outside the will of God for your life. And not only did he find disease, but he found the consequence of death in Moab. Elimelech never intended to be buried in Moab, but he was. And Elimelech never intended to bury his sons in Moab, but he did. You see, when we get the glimmer in our eye to go and we see maybe that there's some benefits, maybe the circumstances, the present circumstances of our life are pushing us toward Moab and we see the glimmer of the benefit down there, we never expect the consequences that come with Moab. I can guarantee you the prodigal son did not get up and gather all together to go down to the far country and live in the hog pen. But that's where he ended up. Because there are consequences in living in Moab. I understand that you'll be a son if we interpret the story correctly. He was a son going down the road. He was a son in the hog pen. He was a son coming home. I understand all that. But there were some things in the far country that he lost that he could never get back again. And Elimelech lost some things in Moab he never ever could get back again. And Naomi lost some things. And Malon and Kalion lost some It did not just affect Elimelech. That's the greatest lie of the devil for Christians is that you can do what you want and it'll only affect you. It didn't work that way for Elimelech and it won't work that way for you. There were consequences born down yonder in Moab. I want to say this morning, there was confusion in Moab. The Bible said, now Limelech, 
in his mind when he goes to Naomi. I don't know. I'm just kind of reading between the lines this morning and my heart's real heavy and I feel like God's trying to get a hold of somebody this morning. But it may be the circumstances of your life have caused you to cast an eye down the road toward Moab or toward the far country. You don't have to sit on the bar stool to be in the far country. You don't have to live wicked in sin to be in the far country. You can sit on the church pew with your eye glimmering up down toward Moab. But the preacher's here this morning in my feeble attempt by the help of God to warn you there are consequences in Moab. And there was confusion in Moab. I'm sure that if Elimelech, Elimelech didn't get up one day and just decide how the blue to go to Moab. I'm sure of it. Just like the prodigal didn't get up one day and decide how the blue out of nowhere to go to the far country. But Elimelech probably laid in the bed with Naomi at night when Malon and Kalion couldn't hear what was going on. And they probably discussed what was going on in Bethlehem. And they probably said something like this. We'll just go down there, Naomi. That's what Elimelech said. And we'll just stay a few days or a month or two. But we won't put down any roots. We won't put our children in their schools. We won't join up with their modern ways of worship. We won't worship the idols that they worship. We won't go to the stores they go. We won't talk like they do or act like they do. We'll just go down there and bite out the famine and come back when it's better here. I'm afraid we live in a day where many of the people of God are so in and out and in and out and in and out because they cannot endure the hard times in the faith. And they're going to come. You can't kick out and run to Moab. Every time a famine comes, they are going to come. But God will take care of us. And so they conversed and maybe, I don't know, I've heard it preached both ways and we are unsure. Maybe it was Naomi that brought it up and said, can't you look at our boys? Can't you do something? Can't we go somewhere just for a little while and come back? But maybe it was Elimelech that had to convince Naomi. Maybe it was Elimelech that said, we'll just go for a while. Maybe Naomi said, now we don't have no business down there. But Elimelech said, oh, I know, honey, we won't stay long. We'll just sojourn, and then we'll come back when it's better. See, there's a lot of confusion that goes on in Moab. And because they're going somewhere, just them going to Moab produced confusion in the hearts and the minds of their children. They knew. They had heard enough preaching. They had heard enough of the Scripture to know they didn't belong in Moab. But when mom and daddy says it's okay, we'll just stay a little while, it bursts confusion in their mind. And that confusion's brought to light when Elimelech dies. The very next thing that happens is they marry women of Moab. Now they're just going to sojourn. They're not going to put down no roots. They're not going to live here. They're not going to dwell here. But now they've married women here. And the Bible said they dwell there about ten years. 
They don't sojourn there. They dwell there. That means they have a permanent dwelling place. They have put down roots. They have bought property. They have built a house. They have mingled in with the people. They have become like they are. They are living and dwelling in the land of Moab in confusion. God commanded way long time ago not to take wives for your children of the heathen people. But they have done it because that there's confusion. I want to say that Moab produces a lot of conversation. You see, I... I'm just preaching how God put it on my heart. Other preachers can preach it, I guess, however God gives it to them. But I think while they're down there around the table, there was a lot of convincing that had to go on between Elimelech and Naomi and them boys. They're trying to smooth it over. They know they're not where they're supposed to be, but they have convinced themselves that this is how it has to be in order to make it, but it's not how it has to be. And we're living in a day to day where men the people of God cannot hear the man of God because all they can hear is their own flesh trying to convince them that this is just how it has to be. But it's not how it has to be. What about when Elimelech dies? What about when Naomi follows the casket to the graveyard? And beats on the top and says, you told me everything would be okay. You told me we wouldn't dwell here. You told me we'd go back to Bethlehem. And now you're dead and there's nothing I can do about it. What then? What about when she has to follow two more caskets to the graveyard? And say your daddy said we wouldn't stay here. And your daddy said it would be okay. And I'd convince myself that it would be alright. But she knows now it's just too late that it's not okay to live in Moab. I wonder if the conversation changed. I would say it did. After Elimelech's in the grave and Malon and Kalion are in the grave, I bet the conversation at the table went from convincing them that it was okay and remembering the good days back in Bethlehem. You say you're reading between the lines. Well, there's enough in here that I don't necessarily have to. Ruth had to hear something good about Bethlehem from somewhere. In order for it to be so ingrained in her that she said, I could care less if I ever see Moab again, I'm going with you to Bethlehem. I wonder if Naomi sat around the table with Orpah and Ruth after Malon and Kalion are buried and Elimelech's gone and said, did I ever tell you about the time when our God brought us out of Egypt? Did I ever tell you about the time when God parted the Red Sea and let us cross on dry ground? Did I ever tell you about the time that we wandered in the wilderness by our own devices for 40 years but God kept us fed and God kept us clothed. He didn't let our clothes outgrow. He didn't 
didn't let our shoes come off. But he waxed our shoes and greased our breeches. The old preacher said, and let them last through the wilderness. And he fed us and gave us water out of the rock and brought us into this place. Have I ever told you about how good God is? And in their mind, they're thinking, and maybe they said, if your God's so good, why'd you come to Moab? And she, with big old tears running down her face, she said, I never should have ever come here. But she said, it's too late now. And I ain't so sure. Now I'm preaching, it's on my heart. And she said, I ain't so sure that I'll ever get to go back. And she said, but I long for the day when I can walk through the gate of Jerusalem. I long for the day when I hear the people of God ring out in a shout of victory. I long for the day when we go up to the house of God in unity and worship again. But she said, I don't think I'll ever go back again because of what I've done. But I like what the Bible said. Somehow or another, I don't know how the word got there, but it makes no difference it got there. And she didn't have to go to Bethlehem's gates to hear it. Well, the Bible said she heard in Moab that God had moved again and God was working again. And she said, I'm not staying here. I'm going home again. I want to tell you this morning, you can have Moab. You can have its consequences. You can have its confusion. You can have its convincing. You can have its conversations. You can walk to the graveyard. You can walk to the hospitals. And I don't mean necessarily physically, but spiritually. It may be physically. I don't know. But you may re- you will reap and suffer the consequence of living in Moab. You can spend all your days convincing yourself that this is the only place you can live. You can spend all your days convincing yourself there's nothing you can do to get out. You can spend all your days convincing yourself you can never go home again. But I want to tell you that the same God that visited Bethlehem in Naomi's day is the same God that's a visiting in our day. And He wanted me to tell you this morning that if you're in Moab, if you're just looking down the road to Moab, if you thought, thought about packing up tonight and traveling with your family to Moab tomorrow, I'm glad you don't have to go. You don't have to stay. You can come home again. You can leave the consequences. You can leave the confusion. You can leave the conversations. You can leave the convincing. You can leave all the debt. You can leave all the disease. You can leave all the doubt. All the disturbance. All the discouragement. All the distress. Leave it all behind and come to Bethlehem. I want to tell you this morning there'll be things you'll find in Bethlehem that you won't ever find in Moab. Can I tell you this morning that there's bread in Bethlehem that ain't in Moab. You say, but preacher, they went to Moab to get the bread. Oh yeah, but it wasn't the same bread. They don't serve Bethlehem bread in Moab. But there's a special kind of bread at Bethlehem that's reserved for only them living in Bethlehem, Judah. You say, what's the difference? Well, that bread in Bethlehem is God's bread. You won't find none of God's bread in Moab. 
You might find the world's bread. You might find financial bread. You might find community bread. You might find religious bread. In Moab, but you'll not find God's bread. In Moab, but I can tell you this morning with assurance that there is God's bread in Bethlehem. That's what Naomi heard. That's what sparked her interest. Uh, The Bible said she heard in Moab uh, that God visited his people and the proof that he visited is that he gave them bread. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, But what Naomi wasn't in the crowd uh, over yonder in the wilderness wondering uh, that got that bread that come down from heaven uh, that they had never had before. And they ate that bread and said, we ain't never had nothing like this again. And Naomi got to remembering and dwelling back yonder in them days when she had tasted God's bread. And she said, let's go, I'm leaving. There's bread in Bethlehem that I can't find down here in Moab. I wonder when they first went to Moab. I'm just preaching this morning. I ain't never thought of this before till now. I wonder this morning when they got to Moab and Malon and Kyleon got that first loaf of bread and got to eating it and they said, Daddy, this don't taste like bread we eat before. And in Elimelech's mind, he knows they're right. But he says, well, there ain't none in Bethlehem. We're just going to have to get used to the bread in Moab. I want to ask you this morning, are you used the bread in Moab. Are your children used to the bread that they're finding in Moab? Or when you bite into it, do you still long for the day for the freshness of God's bread that you know you can't find where you are in Moab? See, God's bread's sufficient. It won't never run out. You say, but preacher, there's in a famine. I know, but God brought them through. All the rest of them didn't go to Moab. So somehow or another they made it. It was God's sufficiency. And I'm telling you, if you'll hang on and put your stakes down a little deeper in Bethlehem, God's bread will be sufficient. Just like it was, like we preached or tried to preach the other night. Like it was for that widow woman in Zarephath. You may be scraping your bottom, but God will make sure that it's sufficient. You may be dwelling at the bottom of your barrel, but don't run to Moab, don't kick out. On God's stay in Bethlehem, it'll pay off in the end. Oh yeah. God's bread's never stale. Oh no. Oh, the Lord spoke that to my heart last night. And something went to fluttering down inside. I wonder if when Malon and Kalion first took a bite of Moab's bread, they said, Daddy, this bread's stale. We ain't never tasted stale bread. He said, but boys, there ain't nothing but the hell. I'll just get used to it. But I'm glad that God's bread don't taste like the world's bread. It's never stale. You don't have to live on leftovers. He's got fresh for you every day. There's bread in Bethlehem. Can I say there were brethren in Bethlehem? Oh, thank God. We've heard already this morning 
Several testify or make mention of either in testifying or during Sunday school or while they prayed about the joy of being together with the people of God. I don't read where there's any brethren in Moab. Elimelech and Naomi and their boys had to make it all by themselves. But they've been gone for at least 10 years now. And Elimelech's gone. And Malon and Kilion are gone. And here comes Naomi in. And don't you know them 10 years have been the 10 hardest years of her life? She probably didn't have no wrinkles when she went out and her face is covered with wrinkles now. She probably didn't have no gray hair when she went out and now it's all turned gray. I mean, the Bible said Naomi means pleasant. But she said, there's nothing pleasant about me. She said, the Almighty hath afflicted me and dealt there bitterly with me. But the Bible said, even though Elimelech's not with her, even though Malon and Kylian are dead, even though she's got a stranger with her, even though she don't look like she looked when she went out the city gate, the people still know who she is. And the Bible said it don't just say they saw her. And it don't even just say they spoke to her. But the Bible said, if you look in the Scripture, verse number 19, when they came to Bethlehem, all the city was moved about them. That's right. You say, what does that mean, preacher? It means they got excited. They got stirred up when they said, Is this Naomi? We've been waiting on you. That's what they were saying. They were not saying, I believe. Now you can take it however the Lord puts it in your heart. I don't think they were asking, is this Naomi because of the way she looked? Because she had to go on and say that the Almighty dealt very bitterly with me. They just were so excited. They thought she had dropped off the face of the earth. But she was back again. And the whole city was stirred about it. That's what the Bible said. All the city. All the city. That means they started going house to house and saying, have you heard Naomi's back? Have you heard Naomi's home? Have you heard she left Moab? Have you heard she's back with us again? And they all compassed about her and loved on her and helped her. That's right, brother. Thank God, yes. I see in my mind, a woman by herself with her two sons carrying a casket to the graveyard with no friends and nobody that cared. I see a woman with two girls with her carrying two caskets to the graveyard with no friends and no help. And she said, this is not how it would be in Bethlehem. I think at night she cried and she said, I wouldn't have to endure this like I'm having to endure it if I was back in Bethlehem. I've got brethren there. I've got friends there. I've got family there. They would help me in this time. Sit around that table with Orpah and Ruth and they said, what are we going to do? She said, I don't know. I ain't never experienced it like this. If I was back in Bethlehem, there'd be food on the table and people lined up out the door to help us through what we're going through. But I'm not in Bethlehem. I'm in Moab. And there's no brethren here. Thank God there's brethren in Bethlehem. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. That there's brethren in Bethlehem. 
You'd let your circumstances just about drive you insane and push you toward more. But thank God for some brethren in Bethlehem. Oh yeah. I come in last Sunday night and I didn't know I was going to say all this. And I didn't really want to, but I feel it in me and I've got to. I come in last Sunday night and I was as close to quitting as I'd ever been in my life. I thought, Lord, I can't do it no more. I can't go through it no more. I mean, I know people are sick. People can't understand all that. And ain't about all that, but just all the circumstances and the things going on. I said, I'm done. But all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost I come by the house of God and the brethren started getting stirred. And it picked me up from my bottom. I'm telling you, thank God of their brethren. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean the way I was feeling, you can get upset with me if you want to. I'm just being honest and bearing my heart because the Lord's telling me to. But the way I felt Sunday night, if God hadn't showed up, you'd have probably been hunting somebody to preach this morning. But thank God for brethren, thank God for Bethlehem, thank God that it works in this place. I'm going to tell you them things about Moab as I went. They just got worse and worse and worse. I'm going to tell you about Bethlehem. It gets better and better and better. There's bread there, thank God. There's bread in there, thank God. But there's a Boaz there, thank God. Oh, yeah. He's a type of Christ. He's a kinsman redeemer. He's a mighty man of wealth. And he's got a big heart. He walks down to the field that day. Looks down yonder at this Moabite damsel that has no right in Jerusalem. That has no right to even be a gleaner. She's a stranger in the land. And he says, who's that woman? They don't try to cover it up. They said it's Ruth, the Moabite damsel. They returned with Naomi. And he said, I like her. And it's not in there, but I think it's in there. I think some of them servants said, but Lord, she's a Gentile. But Lord, she's a heathen. But Lord, she don't belong here. He said, it don't matter. My heart yearns for her. And he said, go fetch her. And he didn't just have a heart, but he had a house. He said, bring her to my house. And we'll work it all out. Ain't you glad for the day that you walked through the doors of his house? And he said, I've come to work it all out. Naomi couldn't do anything. Ruth couldn't do anything. It was all Boaz. I'm telling you, as a 16-year-old boy, I was brought to the end of myself and there wasn't nothing I could do. But I'm glad for the day that I walked in his house and he worked it all out. And this is what he said. Maybe not word for word, but this is what he said. He said, now no, no matter what everybody else says, you belong here. I wonder how many people through the town she heard whispering what's she doing in his field. Does he know what kind of woman she is? 
Does he know where she came from? It's kind of like that woman that come in the house with the alabaster box and got to wiping his feet with her tears and her hand broke the box and some of them said if he knew what manner of woman this was he wouldn't let her touch him. But he knew. And he said leave her alone. In other words, he was speaking to them and speaking to her at the same time. He was speaking to them saying, hush, and speaking to her and say, don't pay them no attention. You are where you belong. And Boaz said, it don't matter what the young men say. I've commanded them not to touch you. In other words, I've commanded them not to drag you out because they don't think you belong. You belong in my field. I own the field. I get the say so about who's here or not. And he said, you belong in my field. And he said, I want you in my field so much. He said, don't look at another. Don't go after any other maidens. Don't let anybody influence you to go anywhere else. Don't let anybody tell you you don't belong here. Don't let the thirst push you away. I've commanded the young men to draw water. I've got everything you need. But it didn't stop there. He didn't just have a heart. And he didn't just have a house. But he said, come here before you leave. I got a handful. And I'm going to give it to you. And he said, just go on your way. He measured into her veil enough to last about ten days if you study the Scripture. And he said, just go and get what you need to get. And the Bible said he commanded the reapers to let fall some of the handfuls of purpose for her. And they're not in corn at this time oh they have been and they will be but it's barley harvest at this time I'm going to tell you something I thought about yesterday and I I didn't think all this was going to come together but I'm glad the Lord knows I thought about yesterday Brother Dale and Brother Harlan pulled in while we was eating with that big old truckload of corn and I guarantee you if you'd have went behind if some of them had fell off everybody would have just they wouldn't have paid it no attention it's just an ear of corn here and an ear of corn there and that's how we read the scripture he just left her ear of corn here and an ear of corn there but that ain't the scripture you can mistake an ear of corn you can't mistake a handful of barley because they're reaping. They're not beating it out. They're reaping it. It's still on the stalk. And if you study the language, the word handful means a sheaf. And so what he said is, when you stick that sickle in and cut them sheaves off and bind them up with a big bowl, he said, just stand one up and walk on by. And when she turns the corner, wondering how she's going to make it, how she's going to survive, if she'll ever make it to tomorrow, there stands a handful of sheep with a big old bowl around it. And she says, wonder why they left this here. It must be something they missed. It must be something they overlooked. You say, preacher, you're getting far out there. Well, it's a feeling good. And the Lord's working it in my heart. I think Boaz said now, when you get it all tied together, tie a big pretty bow. And here, take this card and stick it up under the bow. And it says there's more where that came from. Love Boaz. I'm telling you, nobody has to stop and tell me when he comes by. I don't have to have an explanation when there's a handful in my row, but thank God I've experienced it before. I intend to experience it again, not because of me, but because of Him. Yeah. 
And by the way, it was on purpose. I understand that. But the Scripture does not say handfuls on purpose. It says handfuls of purpose. What Boaz said is don't just give her what you don't want. Give her the best. And while you're in Moab, you may convince yourself that you're just living on what everybody else don't want. But I'm here to preach to the contrary. If you'll come to Bethlehem, you'll get the best. His handful is always the best. Always the best. Oh yeah. He had a handful and he had a heart. Can I tell you what he had? He had hope. See, the first time that Boaz laid eyes on her, he had way more than one meal in mind. When he called her to the house, he had one more, way more than one meal in mind. When he set up the handful of purpose, he had way more than just one handful in mind. But he had a marriage in mind. He had a future in mind. He had a baby in mind. Oh, there's hope for her. When it looked like there was no hope, he had hope. I don't ever read about Boaz being in Moab. But I do read about him being in Bethlehem. And then I'll say, and I've already said it and I'm done. They wasn't just bread and they wasn't just brethren. They wasn't just Boaz. I told you it gets better all the time. There was a baby (coughs) in Bethlehem. (coughs) There wasn't no babies in Moab. (coughs) But there was one in Bethlehem. Oh, Malon and Kalion, they married them women, but they didn't have no children. But when she got to Bethlehem, the Bible said he bought all the possession of Elimelech, which included Naomi, which included Ruth, which included the shame of what their father had done. See, that's why when he went to that other kinsman who's a type of the law and said, will you redeem Naomi? And he said, I will. He said, but wait a minute. When you redeem her, you've got to redeem Ruth, and you've got to redeem Orpah, and you've got to redeem Elimelech, and you've got to redeem Malon, and you've got to redeem Kalion, you've got to redeem their shame, you've got to redeem everything they did. And he said, oh, I can't do that. Unless I mar myself and my own inheritance, I can't do that. And he said, thank you, I'll redeem them. He said, I don't care about myself, just care about them. I don't care about my image. I just care about her. I don't care about what they say about me. I just care about her. That sounds like Christ to you. And the Bible said he made himself a no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And the Bible said he was visited as smart beyond any man. Said he was despised and afflicted a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. No beauty that we should desire him. No form. No kindliness. And the Lord laid on him the, the iniquity of us all. And he bought us back. And the Bible said, now, we read in the beginning that it was Elimelech and Naomi that went to 
Moab. And Naomi's the leader coming back. And Naomi is the focus. And the Bible says that Ruth goes to where Boaz is and lays down. He spreads his skirt over her and says, I'll take care of it all. Don't you worry. I'll take it. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't fret about it. I can do it all. And the Bible said that he buys back. Boaz goes in under Ruth. She conceives and brings forth a son. And the whole town is moved again. And they say a son is born to Naomi. Not to Ruth, but to Naomi. You say, what happened? She left Moab and she come back to Bethlehem. And she came back expecting it to all be over. She came back expecting no good to ever come again. She just couldn't stay down there no longer. And now she's holding a baby and all the town singing, a boy is born to Naomi. And if you'd have told her a few months, a few weeks, a few years ago that she'd be where she is today, she'd have said, I could never be there again. But here she is rocking this baby boy and all the town is singing, a son is born to Naomi. And this woman who said there'd never be any hope for her ever again. I want you to listen to God's hope. It says, Now these are the generations of Pharez. Pharez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and we don't, up to this point, it's just a bunch of names. But here's where it changes. And Boaz begat Obed. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David. Here's a Moabitish damsel who they're saying, you have no right to be in Boaz's field. And she don't. But it ain't because her right, it's because he said so. And now she is put in the lineage of David. And not just David, but of Jesus Christ. Because we can go to Matthew and we'll read where she begat Salmon and Salmon begat Boaz and Boaz begat Obed. And Matthew's going to include by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Matthew is a man. He might want to skip over, but the Holy Ghost said, For you go on. Say, begat Obed of Ruth. You say, Well, that's just an afterthought of God. Well, let's put her in reverse and back up a little bit. In Matthew and read where uh, the Bible said that Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. <laughs> you say, surely not that Rahab. Oh yes, that Rahab. The harlot that was put in the lineage of Christ. And not because God had an afterthought. You being here this morning, it's not because God had an afterthought, but He had a plan all the time. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 
And that's how we classify her. Always when we read the word of God, we classify Rahab as the harlot. We classify Ruth as the Moabitess. But when Matthew records it, he never says anything about a harlot and nothing about a Moabitess. They're just in the lineage by the will of God and the sovereignty of God and the plan of God to fulfill His purpose. And out of all of that, down yonder in Bethlehem, Judea, there's a little boy born and they wrap him in swaddling clothes and they put him in a manger because there ain't no room for them in the end. And the stars move round in heaven. And there's one that stands over him and leads him three wise men from the east. And it ain't just a mile or two down the road. They've traveled weeks and months, possibly years, to get to where he is. They said, we've come to worship the one that's born king of the Jews. And nobody, nobody had ever been born a king. They had to wait for somebody else to die. They might have been born an heir, but nobody had ever been born a king. But they said, we've heard of somebody that was born king of the Jews, and we have come to worship. And ain't it amazing? See, it all circles back. God knows what He's doing It all circles back to waiting on Him. It was God's business. God had the ability to speak to both parties in language they understood. He spoke to them wise men from the east that worshiped the sun and the stars and the moon. And He spoke to them by the stars because that was language they understood. But out yonder on the hillside watching sheep were a bunch of shepherds that didn't know anything about worshiping the stars or the stars aligning. But an angel of God came and that was language they understood. And it both brought them to the same place at the same time to worship this boy. Not just any boy, not just a man, but the man, Christ Jesus, the King, the Son of God. I'm glad this morning to be a part of the family. I'm glad for Boaz, and I'm glad I've been in his house, and I've felt his heart, and experienced his handful, and felt the hope that was given from him. I'm glad I've been around where babies have been born. I'm glad that I've been around the brethren. I'm glad I've tasted the bread. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't have to stay in Moab. You don't have to stay among the confusion. You don't have to stay among the consequences. You don't have to stay among all of that. You can come back to Bethlehem. And if you've got your eye turned because of whatever's going on in your life, you don't have to leave. You don't have to sit there and convince yourself that it would be the best thing for you and your family to go to. Can I tell you this morning, it won't be the best thing. It would be the worst thing you and your family ever did would be to go to Moab. If we could find Naomi today and stand her up before us and say, Naomi, what would you have to tell people that think they want to go to Moab? She'd scream to the top of her lungs and say, don't go, don't go. It would be the worst thing you ever did. I'm telling you this morning, you don't have to go. And if you're already there, you don't have to stay. You can come back to Bethlehem and experience the joy. Experience the bread again. Maybe it's been a long time.
since you've got some hot bread from the Lord. Maybe it's been a long time since you felt like the brethren were just overjoyed around you. Maybe it's been a long time since you heard Boaz's voice. Maybe it's been a long time since you remembered the sound of a baby crying and the Lord's speaking to you this morning, getting you to open your eyes to Bethlehem and all that's there. And at the same time, opening your eyes to Moab and all that's there as well. Let's stand all over the house I'm done this morning.